Well, good morning, everyone. It is my joy to welcome you in Jesus' name this morning. It is a beautiful spring day. I hope you've had time to be up and and get awake and get organized and gather your family in your living rooms, your kitchens, wherever you are, your sunrooms. I've been trying to imagine our congregation spread out. Once again, we meet in our empty auditorium here with just our skeleton staff uh, to be able to broadcast this service, and it's our joy to do so. And I trust that there's a connection as uh, we meet together, even though we're scattered all around the region. Uh, today is Palm Sunday. Uh, this is Sunday, April 5th, and uh, well, what a, a beautiful morning the Lord has given us, and it is the Lord's Day. And so we want to just take this next hour, and we want to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to sing together, pray together, study God's Word together. And I just trust that you'll be encouraged and strengthened in your walk with Christ. It is Palm Sunday, and we don't have our choir and our music like we normally have, but I thought it would be appropriate for us to just remind ourselves this morning of that account uh, here as we enter the, the week of the Passion of Christ where so much ministry happened and so much teaching went on in our Lord's ministry there as He heads to Golgotha. Um, It is not the theme of our service today, but I thought just it would be good for us before we sing to just take a few minutes and recount this story and remind ourselves of what happened that day. Now, when they drew near, this is Matthew chapter 21. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. And this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a beast of burden. And the disciples went and they did as Jesus directed them and they brought the donkey and the colt and they put on them cloaks and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when, they, and when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Well, what a morning that was. And it occurs to me as, as we think about that great occasion that the crowds did not really understand yet the mission of our Lord Jesus, and yet they were longing for change in their country. And right now, this morning, we're longing for change in our country. And even though we long to be back to our normal schedules, back to our routines, our sports, our jobs, um, to to put away this social distancing and isolation uh, that has become so old so quickly, we long for change in our country. Uh, we need to understand that the greatest need for change is still for Jesus Christ to transform lives. So this Palm Sunday, let's lift up the name of our Lord Jesus, King Jesus. We're going to begin with that little chorus, 
all hail King Jesus, and then we're going to segue right into that old gospel hymn, O Victory in Jesus. Once again this week, we've tried to pick hymns that would be singable for you there in your living rooms as you watch and as you listen. I hope you'll just join us with your voices. Pastor Mark, our youth pastor, comes to lead us. Let's sing together, All Hail King Jesus. Hail King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel, King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star, and throughout eternity I'll sing His praises. And I'll reign with Him throughout eternity. All hail King Jesus, all hail Emmanuel, King of kings, Lord of lords, bright morning star. cleansing power revealing how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see and then I cried dear Jesus come and heal my broken spirit and somehow Jesus came and brought to me the Victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I. 
to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I heard about a mansion he has built for me in glory, and I heard about the streets of gold beyond the crystal sea, about the angel singing and the old redemption story, and some sweet day I'll sing up there song of victory. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with His redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew Him, and all my love is due Plunge me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing fire. Well, it's good to sing together and remind ourselves of the wonderful salvation that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. We want to take a few minutes and we want to just pause and bow our heads and pray together now. And we have our pastoral staff here this morning and Pastor Everett is going to lead us in prayer in just a moment. But I just wanted to mention a few things uh, just to remind us to continually be praying for our president, our vice president, our governor, and these health officials. Uh, They're in a difficult spot. And uh, we have such limited information, and we need to just, um, at this point, trust what they're telling us, and, and we need to cooperate. And so we just need to pray that God would give them special grace and wisdom, and that there would be answers to this virus. I, I encourage you to continually pray during the noon hour that we can think of our church bowing its head together through the noon hour and praying to that end. Um, we uh, have a couple other things that I want to mention, though, that... Um, I think we'll encourage you. One is concerning uh, our missionary, Daniel Bethel. He and his wife, Carrie, are going to be flying home, I believe it's tomorrow, from their mission field. And uh, they're going to be transitioning to Spain. When they get home, they're going to have to have 14 days of quarantine. It will be here in the Martinsburg area. You'll be watching. There's going to be some ways that you can help and assist them with meals uh, in the upcoming weeks. But we want to pray for them as they fly and as they transition, that God would keep them healthy. And then I believe a picture can come up on your screen right now. Um, I was uh, actually talking on the phone yesterday to Malawi, Africa, to uh, our beloved young pastor there, um, Yohani. And he said something to me that really touched my heart. And he said that um, every Wednesday and every Friday, all of the Finish Line Ministry churches 
the pastors are fasting and praying for the church in America and specifically for Fellowship Bible Church. They are fasting and praying every Wednesday and Friday, and they are praying in earnest for God to resolve this coronavirus crisis. One of the things that they pray regularly is that God will bless the church in America so that the church in America will bless them. And I just thought that might touch your heart to know that we are being prayed for by these dear, beloved African pastors, and I just wanted you to know that. Well, let's um, just bow our heads in prayer wherever we are, and let's pray together as Pastor Everett leads us to God's throne of grace at this time. Let's pray. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You are indeed our shepherd, your shepherd who provides, cares for, looks out for us. Father, you have our best in mind. May we trust you in these difficult days, in these anxious times. May we show the right love to other people that you've given to us. As we get cooped up together, that we would have the patience that we need for one another. That we would look to the joyful things of being together that this time has provided unlike any other time. Father, I do pray for Dan and Carrie Bethel as they board a plane tomorrow to fly home and as they arrive in Dulles and and then transition to quarantine. uh, Thank you for the provisions that's been provided for them and a place to stay that's nice and and comfortable and safe for them. But we know travel is is difficult and, and can be Um, dangerous with exposure, and we just pray your hand of blessing to protect them, that they take all the necessary precautions, and that there'll be no problems from any of the travel and time that they're going. With only three days to pack up all their stuff from many years, I know that they've been stressed, and I just pray for their anxiety and stress levels, and their minds whirling about if they forgot anything, that you would just give them a peace and a calm. And may we be a blessing to them as the time moves forward. And Father, what a a wonderful thing to know that Finish Line Ministry in Malawi, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, on Wednesdays and Fridays are fasting and praying for us. Thank you, Lord. What a joy it is to be together in this, our brothers and sisters throughout the world. Father, we know that this time is different. This time is hard for some. It's, it's unsettling for some. We don't know what the future holds, but you do. And our faith and our trust is completely in you. We ask for comfort. We ask for peace. We ask for a solution to this virus. I pray for our governor, Jim Justice. I pray for all of our elected officials, our local officials, our police officers, with the decisions that they need to make at this time to have wisdom. Father, I do pray for our people working in the hospitals, doctors, nurses, those that come in contact trying to care for others, that you would keep them safe. I pray for your special hand of blessing on Fellowship Bible Church to protect our people. 
that we wouldn't see any loss from this. And we just trust you in the upcoming days that soon we will be able to gather again together. And what a great day that will be. But in the meantime, we will have joy. We will have joy in all circumstances for all that you do for us. And we thank you for it. It is in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? He left his Father's throne above, so frees new infinite his grace emptied himself of all but love and bled for adam's sinful race his mercy all immense and free that thou my god should die for me Amazing love, how can he cross the cross that set me free? In beauty stand, all of time, my hope and For I am his and he is mine His grace has raised me from the dead And breathed in me new life divine I'll sing for all eternity For thou my God has died for me. Amazing love, the mighty cross, the cross that set me free. In beauty stand for all of time. My cross that set me free in beauty stands for all of time my hope and victory my victory
let me fall into his grace and let my soul forever rest safe in the arms of his embrace i'm so secure my heart is blessed amazing love how can it be that thou my god shouldst die for me that thou my god should die for me should die Well, good morning. It's usually at this point in the service that I would come up and give some announcements and welcome visitors, asking them to fill out the yellow card and reminding you that this is a great tool to use to send in any prayer requests. Well, of course, things are different. I don't think there's a yellow card for you to grab, but we do have a couple of things to uh, communicate to you. And one is we are still concerned about praying for you. We do still pray. And if you would like, you can send us an email prayer request, and we would like to know what's going on with you. And a second thing that we wanted to ask you to do is we thought it'd be fun if everybody could take pictures of how you're watching the live stream, what your setting is. Is it on a phone? Is it on a laptop? Is it on your TV? And just a little picture of your family. We're going to put those together in a, in a little PowerPoint presentation, and we'll play that at the beginning of our messages with the countdown if we get enough of those. So would you help us with that? Would you get some pictures and just send it to fbcmail at fellowshipwv.org? I believe that is on your screen at this time. Another thing that uh, is a little different and we wanted to do as a point of contact is make sure that we're connecting with our missionaries and knowing how to pray for them. And one of the things that uh, we're planning to start doing is something I call a moment with our missionaries. And this week, uh, we're going to play a video from the Jesserins. I sat down with them and had a conversation uh, about everything that's going on, how it's impacting them. Uh, so just take uh, the next five, six minutes and watch this video. Well, hello. One of the things we wanted to add to our services as we're doing these live stream services is a moment with our missionaries and the plan is to do this each week so that we can be in contact with our missionaries know the impact of their lives with this COVID-19 as well as uh, how we can pray for them and how they can encourage us so today we have the privilege of having Tom and Heidi with us so welcome Tom welcome Thanks. Heidi yeah. glad to have you here so COVID-19 the big topic of course yeah. so tell us a little bit about how it's affecting your ministry how it's affecting your life right now yeah thanks so because we were coming back from Nigeria to give a report let God's people know what God is doing there we were hoping to visit a lot of churches those have been canceled for the moment mm -hmm. so we're looking at how to make connections with pastors missions committee members and uh, some of our supporters without being able to physically go and see them yeah that, that certainly makes it a little bit more challenging mm -hmm. difficult yeah. and we've got to figure that out as we go mm -hmm. but what what would you say god then is teaching you or challenging you with through this 
well, because we've been through similar situations in Nigeria, I, what would you say? There hasn't been it a lot of new challenges. It hasn't been too bad. Not, not too stressful. It's fine. Well, praise God for that. So I know that with our past history, how much things you've been through yeah. uh, in Nigeria and how that has helped maybe prepare you even yeah. more, mm -hmm. yeah. where it's newer for us. So how yeah. would you encourage us <laughs> yeah. in this? Okay, yeah. because Well, because of political problems, uh, terrorist issues, even other diseases, we've had situations where we had to be sequestered at home, where there's been shortages and runs on things at the market, mm -hmm. where we had to rely day by day, even hour by hour on a changing situation to know how it's going to impact our lives. So we've been through it several times. And I've learned a few things uh, just briefly. Uh, first is that these situations will come to an end. Mm -hmm. You're focused on it at the time. It seems like it'll never end, but they do come to an end. Second is God's grace is sufficient for the time you need it. Mm -hmm. you, you never know how you're going to react to something, but when you rely on God's grace to get you through it, he provides ex in extraordinary ways. Yeah. Uh, third is that just as God extends his grace to us, we need to extend grace to one another. Mm -hmm. When you're in these kind of mm -hmm. situations, you just sequestered at home or not having some of your favorite things available to you, people can get snippy. Mm -hmm. So extend grace to one another, knowing that the same people that are helping you in this situation, in this crisis, are going to be there when you come out of the crisis. Mm -hmm. yes. So how is that relationship going to continue? Mm -hmm. And the fourth is that as you go through more of these it enables you to go through other situations similarly later on. You're, the trying of your faith works uh, patience in us. Mm -hmm. that's, going to, uh, that's going to benefit us when we have other situations like this. That's great information. Thank you for sharing. Heidi, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I think for me, um, just like Thomas saying with that faith, um, increasing your faith, it is like a muscle. And sometimes, well, I've read that faith and fear can occupy the same place. And mm -hmm. so you have to get a handle on your fear in a situation like this. And how you do that is displace it with greater faith. And so these crises have helped me learn greater dependence and reliance on the Lord um, in ways that I had not known uh, prior. So it's that's awesome. Certainly our faith needs to be growing in this situation. And that's great to see how God does positive things yeah. when even negative things are going on. Mm -hmm. So talking of negative things, what is happening in Nigeria? We know what's happening mm -hmm. here. Yeah. How is this, as far as you know, impacting mm -hmm. life in Nigeria for yeah. people? Yeah, Nigeria's had a several dozen positive uh, positively tested cases for COVID. So Nigeria government is locking down a lot of situations, mm -hmm. uh, group meetings and things like that. And our missionaries are, uh, uh, as you would expect, curtailing their ministries and being mm -hmm. asked to stay more close to home. Okay. Yeah, it's difficult. I know uh, there, most of them are in compounds. Mm -hmm. So even though they're sequestered, they do have some contact with yeah. other people within their yes. compound, mm -hmm. even though they can't go out. So that helps right. a little bit, but... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But as you pray, um, we would really ask for prayer. Um, the medical system there is not set up at all to handle this kind of crisis. Mm. And so um, our people are very much at risk and they worked hard to get the high risk people out of the country. Mm. But um, as you pray for Nigeria and Nigerians, it's a very scary time. So yeah, certainly thank we you. will be praying for yeah. that whole ministry and everything going on. But how, then your plans individually, you mm -hmm. had plans to go back. Mm -hmm. The country's closed right now. Yeah. Of course, we don't know what will happen tomorrow, yeah. but has that a, have you been bumped yet? Or are you still planning to go back? Mm -hmm. What What are your plans? We haven't been bumped yet. Our plans are to go back in the middle of June. 
of course everything is like you said we don't we don't know what's, what it's going to look like but that's our plans for right now okay and uh then when you go back um resume all of your normal duties as yeah. you would know unless mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah know, figure out what's going on at yeah. the time yeah great exactly. so tell us then how we can pray for you i know uh, Heidi, I'd like you to speak a moment to your carpal tunnel, which we put an email out about yeah. that and uh, how you're doing and then anything else that we can pray for you guys with. I'm doing fine. Not having daytime pain. It's nighttime problems. Mm -hmm. And so um, getting a different bed has really helped with that. Thanks, FBC, <laughs> um, for helping with that. Um, but we're uh, that that medical treatment and the possible delay if I should need surgery that might um, also hang up our timetable. So yeah. just trusting God, looking to see how it's going to play out like everybody else. Okay. Mm -hmm. And how else might we pray? Uh, pray for us as we're here for these next few months of home assignment, how to uh, how to appropriately and adequately let people know what, what God is doing in Nigeria with this changing situation of how churches are doing their Sunday morning and, and weekly activities. Well, great. Once again, I want to just say thank you Thank you for your faithfulness. Mm -hmm. Thank you for your time and sharing with us and encouraging us. Mm -hmm. This has been a moment with our missionaries. Well, thank you very much, Pastor Everett. And uh, that gives you some insight uh, to help you know how to pray for our missionaries. So thankful for Tom and Heidi Jesserin and their faithfulness on that important field of Nigeria. And Tom's leadership is significant there. And so as you can imagine, and as they communicated, this virus is affecting uh, everything about their plans. And so do pray for all of our missionaries and pray specifically for Tom and Heidi Jesserin. Grateful that we could have those few minutes with them. Uh, before we sing another hymn and prepare our hearts to hear God's word this morning, and we continue yet today our series on the names of God, um, I want to just mention a couple of upcoming things. Um, uh, you're kind of in a routine now and in a rhythm. You know that we try to send out uh, some short videos, age-appropriate for different departments, children's director Tim and youth pastor Mark and Pastor Everett's connecting with his basic group. And twice a week, I try to put out just a short, brief, encouraging word by video. And then every day, most every day, I'm trying to put out just a brief written word to encourage you and share a few scriptures with you. Uh, we are continually thinking about ways that we can minister and uh, one of the things that we want to do is this Wednesday evening, um, when we, at 7 p.m., we would normally have pulpit prayer or our prayer time at the pulpit that we've started, but this week we're going to change that up a little bit. I've been receiving a lot of questions about uh, the, the place that this coronavirus might play in Bible prophecy. Is it biblical? How does it fit into the scheme of the last days? Is it indicative of, of the fact that the Lord might be returning uh, sooner than ever? And just lots of questions. And so I thought it would be helpful to us to just sit right here on this platform at a little round table, and I'm going to moderate a Q&A session with Tom Jesserin, you just saw him on your screen, and with uh, Jim Shupey, one of our uh, um, beloved Bible teachers here in our church. And we're just going to just beat that question around a little bit. I'm going to ask them questions, and we're going to seek a biblical perspective of what has been happening in our country. Uh, this scenario that we're in with the COVID-19 is unlike anything any of us have ever experienced. And how does that fit 
into the grid of Bible prophecy. And I think you'll find that very interesting. That's this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, and we'll look forward to that. And then uh, this Friday evening is Good Friday, and we thought that it would be appropriate for us to lead in communion. And so we're going to live stream communion uh, Friday evening. We will have a shorter service of hymns, scripture, and then I will lead communion right here at the communion table. We will be sending out a bullet point list of suggestions on how you might prepare for that with some bread or crackers and juice and so forth and just give you uh, just a reminder of that so that you can be prepared. And if that would be meaningful to you, to please join us Friday evening. And then it looks like for the foreseeable future, there's no let up on our church scattered as we continue this social distancing and we will continue to do our best to minister here uh, through the cameras, through live stream. And we hope that it's an encouragement and a blessing to you. Thank you so much for the positive feedback you've given. And uh, we find that very helpful. And we are praying and asking God to use this season in the life of our church in just a special way. Uh, some of us have needed revival. Some of us have needed to be convicted to be ready for the Lord's return. Others are committing uh, to prayer like never before or scripture reading and those kinds of disciplines, and that's been good for us. There are many good things that are going to come from this strange season in our, in our country right now. Well, I hope that you can sing along with us now, and I hope that it's your testimony that you can say with that old hymn writer, it is well with my soul. Pastor Mark comes again to lead us, and then we'll be opening God's Word for our message this morning from Judges chapter 6. When peace like a river death my way When sorrows like sea My sin, oh 
Let's pray together, shall we? And now, Heavenly Father, as we reach for our Bibles, would you encourage our hearts? We need encouraged today. We need strengthened. We need quieted. Uh, we need clarity. We need confidence. And so we run to you. We run to your name. It's a strong tower, and we find refuge there. I pray, Lord, that the Word of God would come alive as we study it together uh, that the enlightening ministry of the Holy Spirit, illumining and enlightening and, and opening our eyes to truth would just be a very real experience this morning. Even though we're a church that is uh, scattered and isolated and in isolation, would you knit us together uh, in, a, in a unity in the Spirit through the Word of God today? Uh, give me clarity, Lord. Give me freedom as I speak. And Father, whoever's listening to this, and whenever they listen to it, may you use your word to strengthen us now in these strange days. We commit ourselves to you, we commit ourselves to the hearing, and then the doing of the word in Jesus' precious name, amen. Well, I was thinking this week about being afraid. Um, we could all probably tell stories of, of occasions where we were frightened, where maybe someone put a scary mask on and, and uh, jumped from behind the corner and, and scared us. Uh, I'm not talking about that kind of being scared. Uh, I'm talking about that deep, that, that core fear that makes you tremble. I'm talking about being afraid to the degree that you can't think straight. Uh, I was thinking even further about how this uh, season that we're in with the virus is affecting our boys and girls. I know a lot of you boys and girls are listening out there, and let me tell you a story about when I was a boy. 
Um, those are words that I used to love to hear my dad say. I guess that's why I say it. I would say, Dad, tell me a story about when you were a little boy on the farm. And uh, I love those stories. And let me tell you a little story. It's not that big of a deal. But when I was in elementary school in the south side of the suburbs of Chicago, one of the things that we used to have to practice and exercise were tornado drills storm drills because we lived in the Midwest. It's not so common here in West Virginia, but in the Midwest, tremendous problem with, with uh, storms in the spring, in the summer, in the fall especially. Uh, we would have tornado drills. And there was a certain bell that would ring or uh, an alarm that would go off and our teacher would say, okay, we have to get underneath our desks right now and we would get under our desks and we would have to be really quiet and, and somebody in the room who sat over on the side of the room would be charged with opening the windows and you know we would have those drills and we it was a little bit scary but I remember one day standing in the kitchen of our home as a little boy maybe seven or eight years old and watching a huge black cloud cycling and the big trees in our yard bending over from the wind and my father saying we must go to the basement there's a tornado I want to tell you, it's one thing to have the alarm and the drill in your classroom. It's another thing to be in the middle of the storm. And we headed down the steps to the basement of our home. And I can remember being just frightened to the core of my being. We would pray. We would pray. Maybe you're experiencing that these days. There was another drill that we would have when I was in school. And in, during those days in the mid-1960s, uh, the United States was in the Cold War, and um, we, what we were experiencing uh, was a lot of tension between uh, the former Soviet Union and those block of countries in the United States. And so when we were in school, there would be another drill that would take place, and that one, we would have to go out in the hallway, and we would have to sit um, against the walls. And those were a little bit more scary as well and frightening. And so I'm just wondering how many of you boys and girls are struggling with fear. Well, let's remind ourselves that we have a place to run. And it's not out in the hallway with our heads bowed and between our knees. It's not underneath our desks. It is we run to the name of the Lord. He's a strong tower. Remember that verse in Proverbs 18.10? That's what's launching our series here, our little sermon series on the names of God. Uh, next week is Easter, and, and I expect we will... Uh, we will join together very similarly to this, but we will celebrate the great resurrection of our Lord Jesus, and then we'll just see where we are after that, what we're going to continue for our sermon series. But let's remind ourselves of Proverbs 18.10. I'm not sure. I think the words can come up on the screen right now. Nope, they can't. But uh, Proverbs 18.10, remember how it goes? It says, the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe. And so we have been studying God's Word to amplify in our minds what the significance is of the names of the Lord. We reminded ourselves that the names of the Lord are a reflection of His character. And so, so far we've just studied two names of God. One is El Roy, Elohim, El Roy, the God who sees. He doesn't lose track of us. He's aware of what's happening. And then last week... Uh, Jehovah, Yahweh, Jehovah, Jehovah, what is it? Je I'm blanking out. Uh, um, Jehovah Roy also, excuse me. 
there's no redo when we're live streaming, is there? Jehovah Roy, the Lord is my shepherd. So El Roy, the Lord who sees, and then Jehovah Roy, the Lord is my shepherd. Today, we're going to look at another, yet another name of God, and I hope that you'll find it helpful. It is Jehovah Shalom. Jehovah Shalom, Yahweh Shalom. Now, a lot of people know that Hebrew word shalom. It means peace or joy or contentment. Um, It can even have the idea of being funny, uh, something that puts us at ease. Uh, The Lord is our peace is how it's translated, Jehovah Shalom. What I want to do this morning to illustrate this name of the Lord is I want us to turn together in our Bibles to a very appropriate passage of Scripture in the Old Testament, Judges chapter 6. Many of these names do uh, derive themselves from stories in the Old Testament. And I want us to just pick our way through Judges chapter 6. Now, this is the beginning of an extended passage about Gideon. If you have your notes uh, handy and you're looking on with those, you might find that helpful. But what we want to look at first is we're just going to understand what's happening in the life of an individual that many of you know his name. His name is Gideon. That's a name that some of you have named your boys. You name him Gideon. Um, it's, uh, he was a man of God, but it's interesting how we find him in our story filled with fear. And then he's going to have an encounter with God himself, and he's going to call out and he's going to name God Jehovah Shalom, the God of our peace, the God who is peace. We begin our story in Judges chapter 6, if you have your Bibles handy. Um, And we'll not read the whole passage at one time, but let's just pick away with a few verses. Um, We begin uh, uh, with a story in Israel, and the nation is in chaos. The nation is in chaos. As I was studying this passage of Scripture this week, I thought, boy, there's just a lot of of points of similarity, um, only in this story it's even to a greater extreme than the uncertainties and the chaos that we are feeling today. The first, th- the first thing that I want you to see in our story is that the nation of Israel uh, it was in spiritual and moral meltdown. This is Judges chapter 6. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and so the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. You need to understand as we start this story, it's in the book of Judges, The book of Judges follows the book of Joshua, and remember that Joshua was the general, uh, the, the man of God who took over the leadership of Israel when they entered the promised land after Moses died. So you have Moses, then you have Joshua, and then when Joshua died, and it would be worthwhile to read the last couple chapters of the book of Joshua, under Joshua's leadership, the elders in Israel uh, kept the nation's eyes upon God, and God blessed them, and they settled the promised land as God had promised Abraham many years before. But when Joshua died, right before he died, remember he called out for them to live for God and to never compromise, and he warned them that if they did, it would not go well with them. And then we enter a time of, of, of where Israel struggled for good leadership 
after Joshua died. And so when we read the book of Judges, we realize that, that there are cycles with Israel where they would have a good leader. He would be called a judge. They didn't have kings yet then. That was yet to come. But God would raise up a man to judge over the people, and, and it would go quite well. Um, and then the people uh, would depart from the Lord, and then God would judge them by letting enemies come in. Right now, when we go to jo Judges chapter 6, we're in the fourth cycle of this in the book of Judges. This is the fourth time in the book of Judges that God allows His people to be ransacked and taken over by other godless nations because of their disobedience. And so this repeated cycle in the book of Judges goes something like this. There would be disobedience among God's people, and then God would allow judgment to come and create a, a, a dis, well, there would be disobedience, and then that would lead to disgrace and often idolatry, and out of that disgrace, God would then discipline His people, often with a foreign army who would come in and dominate and, and destroy all of their resources, and then the people would get so weary in that condition that they would finally humble their hearts and cry out to God, and then God would bring deliverance. And so you would have this repeated cycle in Judges of, of disobedience, disgrace among God's people, then God would discipline them, and then they would cry out for deliverance. God would deliver them and then raise up another judge. And, and some of those judges were interesting people, Othniel and Ehud, the left-handed judge. Um, he's the one who stabbed big fat king Agag, and he freed the people from wicked rulers. Uh, you have Barak and Deborah, which is an extended story. And then you have Gideon in chapter 6, and this is the fourth cycle. Later on, Samson is actually going to be one of these judges. Interestingly enough, our story today surrounding Gideon is the longest of all of the stories of these judges in the book of Judges. So let's go back to, to verse 1. Uh, the people of Israel had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So they had disobeyed, they had disgraced themselves, they were following idols uh, and idols of the pagan world around them that always, idolatry always led to immorality and so they were very sexually immoral. And so God judged them by allowing them to be given over to the hand of Midian. And notice what it says at the end of verse 1, for seven years. So the first thing we see is that there was spiritual and moral meltdown. And so God brings judgment, and that looks like um, chapter 2 verse through verses 5. Notice what it looks like. The hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because Midian... Because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east would come up against them and they would encamp against them and they would devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and they would leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox, or donkey, for they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would, like, they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so they laid waste the land as they came in. 
So the second thing that we see in verses 2 through 5 is that there was catastrophic societal collapse. Everything that Israel knew as a norm had collapsed. And we can relate to this a little bit. Now, our grocery stores are still filled with food. We don't have marauding enemies riding through on camels. Let's talk about those Midianites for just a minute. It's, it's interesting where the Midianites uh, came from. Their heritage was actually out of Abraham himself. Uh, a couple weeks ago when we were talking about that Egyptian servant girl, Hagar, remember that I told you that she um, had had a child with Abraham in, in, in the lack of faith. Remember, Sarai gave Hagar to Abraham, and they had a son named Ishmael, and he's the father of the Arabs and, and of the Muslim people, basically. And then you had other people groups that started up uh, through men like Esau, who were always the enemies of Israel. Interestingly enough, this, this group of people called the Midianites are very uh, uh, common in this passage, and they ally with other people, the Amalekites and other eastern desert dwellers, and they were known for their strength. They had so many camels that they were not even countable. It was just unbelievable. They were like locusts, it would say, when they would swarm through. So they were powerful, they were fast, and they would come riding through on their camels, and they would destroy and steal and plunder everything in sight. And so they were God's instrument of judgment on Israel. Uh, to finish my thought, uh, the Midianites, though, their, their heritage was actually from Abraham after Sarah died, and, and after Isaac was born, the son of promise, uh, believe it or not, Abraham lived a long time and he had more wives. And he had a wife, you can read about this in Genesis chapter 25, uh, verse 2, he married a woman named Keturah. And Abraham, in his old age, long after Sarah was, had passed away, Abraham had this wife Keturah and she had at least six, she had at least six sons with Abraham. And one of those sons is the father of the Midianites. And uh, so it's just interesting how these things happen. And then they are the enemies of Israel. I just thought that was kind of interesting. And I thought I would put that in perspective. So we have a nation in chaos. There is spiritual and moral meltdown. We're in a cycle in the book of, Je of Judges of disobedience, disgrace, then God's discipline, and then deliverance when the people are humbled and cry out. There's catastrophic so societal collapse. We also see in verses 3 through 5 that there was economic uncertainty and broken infrastructure. And notice the people had to flee to the mountains. They made homes for themselves in caves and, and they piled up rocks and made strongholds because the Israelites, whenever they planted every year when it was harvest time, right before they could harvest their crops, here came the Midianites and their allied forces and they would sweep through on their camels and so they lost their crops every year for seven years. And that created economic uncertainty. And there was a broken infrastructure because there was no ability to trade. Not only that, but there was just complete devastation and foreign domination. Complete devastation and foreign domination. In verses 5 and 6 it says, For they would come up with their livestock and their tents, and they would come like locusts in number. So they would literally move into the country of Israel. Both they and their camels could not be counted, so they laid waste the land, the end of verse 5, as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian, and the people of Israel cried out for help 
to the Lord. So there's economic uncertainty, there's broken infrastructure, there's complete devastation, there's foreign domination, and then there's just this humiliation and helplessness. And did you notice back up in verse 2, there's even homelessness. I wanted to just emphasize that they even lost their homes. They made for themselves dens that are in the mountains, verse 2 says, and the caves and the strongholds. So they would leave where they lived normally and go live up in the mountains when every fall, when the Midianites would come through and just strip their land. And they would lose everything they had. And then they would try to rebuild. And there were seven years of this. Can you imagine how difficult it would be? We're only about three weeks into our isolation and social uh, separations and lingering back from one another, limiting our movements around our community. And it's getting old. Can you imagine seven weeks? It looks like that's going to be what maybe we should expect. But what about seven months? What about seven years? Can you imagine how devastated the people are And so naturally at this time, they then began to call out for the Lord. And that's the next thing that we see in our passage in verse 6. We see the nation cries out. So a nation in chaos now becomes a nation that is crying out. And Israel was brought very low. They were devastated, humiliated. They were helpless. They were homeless, brought low, very low. And the people of Israel cried out for help to the Lord. The people cry out, and God hears. Look what it says in verse 7. And so when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, verse 8, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel, and he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery. Let's read verse 9 as well. And I delivered you from the land of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave them your land. Isn't that interesting? So there's a nation in chaos. They get so weary of this after seven years that they begin to cry out to God. As a nation, they cry out to God. And the third thing we see in our outline is that God responds. This is in verses 7 through 10, and we've just read that part. Notice in in verses 7 and 8 that when they cry out and the Lord hears them, they cry out on the account of the Midianites, that the first thing God does is he responds, God responds, with a prophetic reminder. He raises up a prophet. We don't know who this is. He's not named. And the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And then he speaks to the people and he says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up out of Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the land of the Egyptians. What's happening is he's reminding them of their history. So the prophet speaks and he's reminding them, Look, you were a people who were in Egypt and in slavery and I brought you out. What the, what's the point of the reminder? He said, I, I released you from those who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you, and I gave you the land of Canaan. In other words, in their history in Israel, you would think because of their captivity in Israel, in Egypt, that Israel never again would disobey God. You would think that they would have learned 
that, that God was their leader. God was the one who would bless them. And as long as they were obedient to God, he would bless them. He would cover them. He would protect them from their enemies. He drove out the Canaanites in front of them and gave them a rich and fertile land. But what happens? What's the natural tendency of the human heart? Especially when we're experiencing plenty. Especially when we're distracted by our own agendas. What is it? We forget God. And Israel did the same thing. They forgot God. And, and the very first thing God does is He reminds them through this prophet of their history and that I gave you freedom from slavery and you should never wander away from me, but they don't. Now notice, it almost makes you smile when you read verse 10. He says, and I said to you, Let's back up into verse 9 again. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and I drove them out before you, and I gave them, gave you their land, and I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. I call this a, a parental reprimand. Um, first, this prophetic reminder of their history, and then sort of like your mom wagging her finger at you saying, or some of you guys, your wife maybe, I told you, or parents to a child, I told you that if you did this, this was going to happen, and sure enough, look what happens. I did all this, you didn't obey me, and there you are. And so God kind of says it one more time, a bit of a poke in the eye, but it's a reminder of them, of the, to them of the importance of obedience as they experience this parental reprimand from God himself through the prophet. The next thing we see is that we're introduced then to the man that God is going to recruit to lead Israel in victory over the Midianites. Now we're getting closer to the heart of our story. And what we've done is just lay a groundwork of a nation in chaos, a nation that cries out to God, and then God now begins to respond, and what we want to narrow our focus to is we want to look at this man, Gideon, and he's a perplexing recruit. He's the most unlikely recruit that you would ever think that God would raise up to lead Israel out of this problem. In fact, uh, Gideon was just a frightened and faithless farmer. He's just a guy out in the country, and let's pick up his story at verse 11, and let's see what he's doing. Now, the angel of the Lord came, verse 11 of Judges 6, and he sat under the terebinth, a big oak tree, at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abzerite, that's Gideon's dad, while his son, Gideon, was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. So you got a farmer there. He's down in a wine press, which would be a, a recessed spot in the ground. Normally, you would, um, you would flail wheat and beat out the wheat. You'd harvest it in shocks, lay it down. Then they would beat on it with sticks, with a hinge in their pole, and they beat it to knock the husks away from the meat of the grain. And then they would throw it up in the air, and the breeze then would blow away the husks and the chaff, and then all the heavier grain, the meaty grain, would fall down. Well, they are so worried about the Midianites because it's harvest time, and for seven years they've swept through and stolen everything. What we have is a frightened farmer flailing his wheat down in a recess, down in a, in a wine press. It's not where you normally would do this. You normally would do it in an open spot where breeze can flow, but he's hiding. He's afraid. He has a deep-rooted core fear. Now notice what we have here. Let's just read a little bit about him. 
And he was beating out wheat in the wine press to hide it from the Midianites. Verse 12, and the, angels, and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. That's very interesting, isn't it? Here he is afraid. He's just an ordinary country boy farmer who's doing his work, harvesting his grain. He's in a wine press, and God comes to him through this pre-incarnate form of Christ, the angel of the Lord. We're going to realize later in our story that he's speaking directly to God himself, the second member of the Godhead likely. The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon says to him, please, sir. So he doesn't realize who he's talking to. Now let's look at Gideon's response. Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. Verse 14, and the Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. Let's just stop there and let's realize this exchange and what's happening. You got this frightened farmer flailing his wheat. The angel of the Lord comes, and he says to him, Hey, mighty man of valor. And and you think to yourself, why did he address Gideon like that? Well, he knows the end from the beginning. I would suggest that he speaks to Gideon that way to try to encourage him. You don't know it right now, but you're going to be a mighty man of valor. I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to do something through you that you never imagined possible. But notice that Gideon is characterized, number one, by fear, Back up in verse 11, he's beating his wheat in a wine press because he's afraid. He's characterized by fear. When the angel of the Lord speaks to him and calls him, O mighty man of valor, verses 13, 12, and 13, Gideon says to him, please, he asks a question. If the Lord is with us, why is all this happening to us? He's a man of doubt, number two. Not only is he afraid, but he's filled with doubt. He doesn't know if God is in control. And he's defeated. Look at the end of verse 13. He said, Did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us again into the hands of the Midianites. And so he's absolutely defeated. He has no hope of rescue. And he's doubting that God is going to rescue them. Verses 14 and 15, we see that he's filled with disbelief. So he's a man of fear, number one. He's a man of doubt, number two. Number three, he's defeated. Number four, he's filled with disbelief, which is very much like doubt. Verses 14 and 15, and and the angel says to him, go in this might of yours. And he's like, verse 15, at the beginning of verse 15, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? I'm from the weakest clan, and not only that, I'm the weakest guy in the weakest clan. How do you want me to do this? There's disbelief in verse 15. There's weakness in the end of verse 15. I'm the least of my father's house. This will never happen. He's characterized simply by faithlessness. So when we meet Gideon, he's in a hole in the ground, hiding from the Midianites. He's filled with fear, doubt. He's defeated. He doesn't believe the promises of God. He's weak and he's faithless. 
Anybody identify with Gideon this morning? Anybody feel defeated? Anybody feel discouraged? Anybody wondering why God doesn't deliver us? Listen, we need to recognize that historically God's people have lived through so much worse than we are living through right now, as frustrating as as it can be right now. And as we think about the future, we often uh, become anxious because we just think, well, if this happens and this happens and this happens, then we're going to have be a nation in chaos. And so we very much relate to Gideon this morning in his faithlessness. Now notice what the angel of the Lord says to him in verse 16. You see, Gideon now is going to react to this message. And the Lord said to him, verse 16, let's, let's reread verse 15 and remind ourselves. And he said to him, Gideon said to the angel of the Lord, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. I don't think that Gideon got it yet, but there was the key. Right there was the key. I am going to be with you. That's why you're going to be a man of valor. That's why you're going to be a mighty warrior. Because I, the Lord God, am going to be with you. And I shall strike the Midianites as one man. Now notice, beginning in verse 17, Gideon um, uh, reacts by testing God. He still hasn't figured out that this is God visiting him. He just thinks it's a stranger, evidently. And so Gideon, verse 17, said to him, if, I, if now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speak to me. So he knows that this is some special message from God. He's not sure exactly, I think, who he's talking to right now. Please do not depart from here, verse 18, until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay until you return. So Gideon says, wait here. I want to go get an offering. I want to present something to you. And the angel of the Lord says, I will wait here. Verse 19, so Gideon went into his house and he prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from an ephah of flour. An ephah of flour is a half bushel of flour. So it's quite a bit of bread that he bakes. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and he brought them to him under the terebinth and presented to this oak tree where he's sitting, and presented them. Verse 20, And the angel of God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes, and put them on this rock, and pour the broth over them. And he did so. And then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of his staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened cakes, and fire sprang up from the rock, and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes, and the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the, the angel of the Lord. Let's stop there for just a minute. Can you imagine this scene? Okay, here's a weak, faithless farmer flailing his wheat. He is encountering now, having an encounter by the angel of the Lord, speaking God's message to him. God speaking to him. You are going to be a mighty man of valor. I'm going to do great things through you. He doubts it all. He has no way of wrapping his head around this. And then as the guy continues, the angel of the Lord continues to talk to him, Gideon gets an idea to test it a little bit. He goes and gets this meat, this bread, this broth, 
He puts it on a rock, and as he stands there, the angel of the Lord reaches out his staff. He touches the rock, and it says the fire came up out of the rock. I don't know about you. I've had fire circles with rocks, but I've always had to burn wood inside the fire circle. I've never had fire come out of the rock. Imagine Gideon just stunned into silence here for a moment as he sees the fire come up out of the rock, and it immediately consumes the meal or the offering that he brought. Gideon now begins to have a level of understanding that is brand new. Verse 22, now we're getting close to the heart of our story here. First, he tests God with this meal. The offering is consumed immediately. Verse 22, now let's read 22 through 24. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, and Gideon said, now notice how Gideon addresses him, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. So he calls him Lord God. He has seen the image or angel, the messenger of the Lord, face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And and this is when Gideon begins to trust the Lord. Now, he's going to have a couple more cycles of doubt. We're not going to get to the story of the fleece and the dew and uh, the dew that waters the grass. And then he repeats the test, and, and then it waters the fleece and so forth. That's in chapter 7. But the angel of the Lord, the Lord, it says, verse 23, the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. So it says in the passage that this is the Lord speaking to him, and Gideon begins to trust God. First he tests God, now he's going to trust God, and he's making peace with God. Notice what happens. Then Gideon, verse 24, built an altar there to the Lord, and he called it, The Lord is Peace. To this day, it still stands in Ophrah, which belongs to the Ab. Abizarites. Okay, now let's back up to verse 22 for just a minute because I want to make sure you don't miss the point here. You see, when it says, then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord, Gideon said, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. Most Bible students believe right then that Gideon thought he was going to be struck dead. That he realizes that he has been questioning God himself. That he realizes that he has been doubting the word of God himself. And then he realizes that he has had a face-to-face encounter with God. And so he thinks he's going to be consumed. We have other stories like that. The parents of Samson experienced that. We've seen God. He's going to consume us, but God is merciful. I'm not going to consume you. In fact, what does God say to him in verse 23? But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear, you see. You shall not die. Gideon thought he was going to die, but you shall not die. Right then, God and Gideon make peace. There was peace with God. Gideon realizes that he had seen God face to face, so he thought that he would be struck dead. And notice then, excuse me, in verse 24, then Gideon, in response, because he's so broken now, he's, he's so relieved, he wants to worship And so he builds an altar to the Lord, and he called it Yahweh Shalom. The Lord is peace. He named that altar after one of God's, after God's characteristic trait here of making peace. The Lord is peace, and it still stands 
to this day. We're going to stop our story right there, but I have a few more things that I want to say. I want us to get our heads around this. You see, in verse 24, Gideon experiences the peace of God. In verse 23, he made peace with God. He thought God was going to kill him, but God made peace with him, and Gideon has peace with God. But then as he worships, he experiences the peace of God. Jehovah Shalom, Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is our peace or my peace. And then when you read the rest of the story, and you'll have to do that on your own time, he's going to experience the power of God. So after making peace with God, and then knowing the peace of God, He experiences the power of God, and God does things through Gideon that are just incredible. Even though he still has a problem with fear and faithlessness, God is with him. Immediately, starting with verse 25, he tears down the idols of Baal that his father himself had set up. He does it at night because he's afraid to do it in the daytime because he's frightened. And then all of chapter 7 is where he amasses the military personnel of Israel, and then God winnows them out down to 300 men. And then he defeats the Amalekites and the Midianites with just 300 men. That's the story of them drinking and lapping water, and he sends the soldiers home. And God is showing Gideon that it's not through him that he's going to accomplish this, but that Gideon, with God's assistance, is going to have the victory. What are we supposed to draw out of this story? I want you to listen closely. We're not quite done yet. One thing that I think is appropriate for us to conclude out of this story is that the sin of a nation really matters. I mean, this whole chapter is about a nation that had gotten into sinfulness because they had forgotten the greatness of God, and they had allowed themselves to worship idols, and out of that idolatry comes immorality, and out of that immorality comes the chaos of a society far from God. In very many ways, that's a description of the United States today, a people who have forgotten God, who have worshiped many things. And those things appear to be being stripped away from us. We've become a very sexually immoral nation. Idolatry always leads to immorality. You mark it down. Wherever there's idol worship, there will then be sexual perversion. It always happens. Whatever form that idolatry manifests itself. So one of the lessons we want to get out of this is that as a nation, we need to cry out to God. That's 2 Chronicles 7, isn't it? 2 Chronicles 7, 14, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. Let's keep praying. As a nation, we need to repent and we need to pray. Secondly, I think there's a good lesson in this story of Gideon that God uses weak people. You can remind yourselves of that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, not many mighty are called, and not many wise by the standards of this world. But God uses the foolish things of the world to tear down the wise. He uses the weak things of the world to bring down the mighty. God often uses weak vessels. God can use me. He can use you in this world today. God is at work. Let's let him be at work in us. But the greatest question this morning is, do you know the peace of Yahweh Shalom? Are you at peace with God? Well, let's revisit that moment where Gideon realizes that he had been offensive in his speech to a holy God. And he realizes that he's seen God face to face, something that was inappropriate. He was not supposed to do that. Now, in the story, God is the one who initiated it, and God was speaking to him. But Gideon's understanding was that he was going to die because he was not worthy to stand face to face with God. 
What a lesson that is for us this morning. Listen, in our unstable world today, the most important thing that we can do is know that we are at peace with God. We cannot stand before a holy God and survive. We are too sinful. Can you say today that Yahweh is your peace and that you are at peace with God? Listen, peace with God only comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me remind you of what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. Justification is when God looks at a sinner and He declares him righteous. It's by no merit of our own. It is through faith. Do you see what it says? By believing that Jesus died on the cross for our sin, substituted into our place, took our sin upon Himself, we can be justified by faith. We then have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of glory, in the hope of glory of God, the glory of God. That's Romans 5, 1 and 2. Can you say today that you have peace with God? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? You know, one of the things that the disruption of our world today should make you realize is that you are absolutely not in control of your life. Years ago when I was a youth pastor, I used to remind my young men not to, bar, not to tattoo barb, barbed wire around their biceps because, because a, a little microorganism, a microscopic organism in the bloodstream can shrivel that mighty bicep up into nothing but skin and bones and then that barbed wire looks foolish. We're not as tough as we think we are. Now, I don't know if you've tattooed barbed wire around your bicep, but one thing you got to realize these days is that we are not in control. We are a weak people. We can go from being the mightiest, economically booming nation in the world, and in about three days, we're dust. We're not in control, and it's scary, and it's upsetting. And, and we don't know the stage that God is setting for the return of Christ. Are you ready to meet the Lord? Have you made peace with God? Gideon had peace with God because God accepted him into his presence. Can God accept you into his presence because of your faith in Jesus Christ and you have peace with God? And then we can know the peace of God when we have peace with God through Jesus Christ's work on the cross and accepting him as our Lord and Savior. We then can know the peace of God that comes from trusting, through trusting him. Isaiah 26.3 is a Wonderful verse. We've reminded you of it already this season. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever for the Lord God is an everlasting rock. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Great peace have those who love your law. The word of God, trusting in God's word is what brings peace and we can know the peace of God. I think that that's a, a very important application today. Let's just remind ourselves from Gideon's story, the Midianites, Israel of old. The sin of a nation really matters. Let's be praying for our nation. Number two, God uses weak servants. He used a, a faithless farmer. Do you know the peace of 
Jehovah Shalom? Do you know the peace of God? Do you know your sin is forgiven? Have you looked to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior from your sin and known his peace? And when you make peace with God, then you can have the peace of God through his word. Let's pray. Father, stir our hearts today. Help us to recognize that you are in control of all things. Help us to recognize that you are a holy God. Help us to know today that our only access of making peace with you is through the Lord Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross. I pray, Lord, that you would embolden us today, that you would encourage our hearts today. Boys and girls who are afraid and frightened today, may they make sure of their salvation and know that their faith and trust is in Jesus Christ and that they are justified by faith in Jesus Christ alone, declared righteous by you because of what Christ has done for us. And we've accepted all of that as a free gift by grace through faith. And Lord, there are those who are struggling uh, with the peace of God, knowing uh, that your word is true and yet filled with doubt like Gideon, faithlessness. Embolden us today, Lord, I pray. Help us to, to grip your promises and to find strength anew and afresh today as we, as we find ourselves keeping our minds stayed on you and that we have peace when we study your word. Encourage our church, encourage those who are viewing this. Help us to make sure that we have our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we've gathered, in his name that we pray, Lord. Amen. I thought it would be good for us to conclude by just singing uh, once again that old hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Uh, let's sing uh, just the, uh, the third, let's sing the third and the fourth stanzas and let's remind ourselves of the glory of sin forgiven. Sing along if you will. My sin, oh the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the
that's your testimony today because you know Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. God bless you, each and every one of you. May the Lord give you strength. May the Lord meet your needs this week. May the Lord cast away all fear from you and be your peace. And have a quiet and calm day together as families. Once again, I remind you, if you have needs, be sure and contact us. God bless you.